Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's a football Friday. Welcome. The Bucks hosting the New Orleans Saints on Sunday at 1 o'clock at Raymond James Stadium. A rematch of uh, what was a thrilling season opener, anyway, for the Bucks. They won that game 48-40, to but did it mask some of their deficiencies as well? We'll talk about that game as well as look ahead to Sunday's game as the Saints come in here. They won 10 in a row after that season opening loss, and then, of course, their last outing, they lost to Dallas 13-10. to Also, Congratulations to Gerald McCoy. He is the Bucks Man of the Year for the first time in his career, which surprised me a little bit, but it makes sense. Um, you'll hear from him uh, to talk about what it would mean to him to be eligible uh, to win the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, which is, of course, for the Bucks, only been won by Derek Brooks, I believe, and Warwick Dunn. And we'll talk some lightning as well as we uh, tape this podcast. They were hosting the Boston Bruins. we got all that and more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. Hey, folks, uh, just a reminder now, we're only 18 days from Christmas, and you know what that means? you got to get busy. And i got the place. Don't panic. I, I know exactly where you want to go. If you want to find something for your loved one, go see our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. He wants you to have the best time ever shopping at Continental this Christmas. So for our listeners only, Andy is offering a limited time 20 percent off all jewelry purchases that's right 20 percent off so whether you're looking for a statement piece like maybe a gorgeous diamond necklace or you're on the quest to find that perfect diamond engagement ring you know christmas eve is a good time to get engaged Andy will give you his undivided attention just come in to continental wholesale diamonds today and you score big with 20 percent off all your jewelry purchases folks you cannot beat this deal my friend's going to take care of you. It's where I shop, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. Let's talk about this Buck saints matchup. And, Steve, it was interesting because, you know, there was a lot of chatter this week about how it seems like, I don't know, more than a season ago uh, that the Bucks opened their year at New Orleans. And, of course, all that that brought uh, in terms of excitement uh, to the Tampa Bay fans you go back, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the quarterback, and, and he had come off a really good preseason, as had Jameis Winston, but Winston was starting to serve that three-game suspension. And at the time, everybody kind of thought, well, I don't know how this is going to go. The Saints are really good. Uh, they hadn't been good in September of late at home in the last few years. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, you're, if you're a Bucks fan, you're thinking, well, maybe Fitzpatrick can win one, maybe maybe two of these three games, but – one would be good, just don't go 0-3. Well, I'm telling you, you could not have scripted a better start, at least especially on offense anyway, of Ryan Fitzpatrick coming out there with, with all these weapons that we knew the Bucks had with you know Mike Evans and, of course, Deshaun Jackson and O.J. Howard and Cameron Brayton and Adam Humphreys and Chris Godwin. And they absolutely just destroyed them offensively. I mean, the Saints went down the field and scored on the first possession, and boom, you were trailing 7 nothing. And then Fitzpatrick hits a bomb uh, to Deshaun Jackson, and it was on from there. And Fitzpatrick 
wound up throwing for well over 400 yards, four touchdowns. I mean, this was an eye-opener, but not all that surprising in that you knew the Bucks were going to have a good offense. You saw the weapons they had, um, but it was confirmation of that. And I just remember how confident everybody was in that organization after seeing that game in New Orleans, uh, thinking, man, this is going to be a hell of a year. And, of course, the next week they followed it up with a win over the Super Bowl champion Eagles. Fitzpatrick threw for 400 more yards, threw four more touchdowns. He was player of the week again. Uh, and, and then, you know, it was uh, the whole Deshaun get up uh, and Fitz magic. But this, this first game really uh, changed some opinions, maybe, I think, about what you thought the Bucks would do. And, and yet there was other things that uh, you and I have talked about, Steve, that were sort of right there in plain view. They were hiding in plain view. And that was, what about the defense? I remember discussing it on the podcast that, yes. you know, they gave up 40, but they were up, what was it? They were up like 48 to 25 or something, you know, and Drew Brees scored the last two touchdowns. And oh, we said, yeah. well, it's Drew Brees. They, that was going against Drew Brees. And, and they had a scoop and score. I believe Vernon Hargraves caused the fumble that was returned yep. for a touchdown. And we, well, the def- Smith, defense is it opportunistic. It's, you know, they, they, they got to stop and they got to score when they needed to. And the defense is going to be okay. It was just Drew Brees. Yeah, and, and the thing was, if not for a third and 11 play where Ryan Fitzpatrick uses his legs and busts it for a first down and just barely with just a little over two minutes, around two minutes to go, they're, New Orleans is going to get the ball back, and I assure you they're down by eight. They're going to score a touchdown and go for two and get it. They'd already gone for two and gotten it the previous, I think, one or two times in that game. So the defense was on its heels. I mean – you know, flat out on its heels after a huge lead in the first half. And there were there were signs there, if you cared to pay attention to them, that wonder what's going on on that side of the ball. Um, but they couldn't have been hotter on offense. So I think, I think it was sort of like, you know, they say that winning is the best deodorant. It kind of covered up the stench of that defense that was not very good. And yet at that time, you know, they had every piece available to them. Vernon Hargraves was playing. I mean – you know, Vita Vea was out because he, he injured himself in the preseason. But pretty much everybody was, was, was healthy and made it to the starting line. And Hargraves got hurt. But, you know, you thought, wow, this, this might be an interesting year. And, and it confirmed what I thought I knew going into the game, which was they have a really good offense. And, and it starts with the passing game. Forget about running the ball. I don't think Peyton Barber did much. Um, Ronald Jones was inactive. But, but the way they were built, the weapons outside, uh, especially with Evans, who just beat Marshawn Lattimore to a drum. And it was interesting about that was that Lattimore in New Orleans a year before that had shut Evans down and got Evans frustrated. And that's when you know, they got into the brawl on the sideline and, and Jameis Winston and, and Lattimore and Evans jumped in and wound up getting suspended. But he absolutely torched. Lattimore, and they never got out of that defense. They continued to, to cover everybody, all those receivers, man-to-man, and Fitzpatrick just burned them. Uh, you know, the, the hangout uh, bomb on, the, on really one of the first plays on a corner blitz to Deshaun for a touchdown. You know, just could pretty much do anything he wanted. So nothing was necessarily surprising about them being explosive and moving the ball, but they won the turnover battle. And they won the game. And if you remember, too, what was also special about that game was that's the first game Todd Munkin called as the offensive coordinator. 
and they set a franchise record. The 48 points, that's the most they've ever scored in a game anytime, anywhere. So that was the other portion of this was like, wow, it's really different. Like this guy is aggressive. He throws a ball down the field, all these explosive plays in the passing game. And, oh, yeah, Deshaun Jackson, the guy that had been missing for a season, all of a sudden he showed up. All of a sudden he was a superstar and a deep threat and all those things. And it continued on to the next week. But, man, how things have changed. And, you know, Jameis Winston, who was not there, of course, or with his teammates, uh, we talked to Jameis about sort of what he thought of that game and where he watched it. Well, I felt like I was in it. Uh, it was an electrifying game. Um, the fast start uh, and the strong finish that we had. So uh, even though I wasn't there uh, physically, I felt I was there spiritually. Uh, so that was very exciting. So, But this is a different game. Uh, we got to come. Uh, we're probably going to play against a different Saints team. Uh, they're probably going to have a different plan. And uh, we got to handle our business this time. But what Winston uh, hasn't talked about there, but he has in the past, is that here's the other thing he thought while he was watching that game. He might have been invested. He might have felt like he was with the team even though he wasn't. But what he was thinking and telling other people was, uh-oh, not uh-oh, but I'm going to have to earn my job back. I mean, every other starter in this league that's been in the league that's a, you know, sort of a first-round pick, first overall pick, franchise quarterback, um, depending on where you're at in your career. But for the most part, if you're that guy and, and you're either injured or in this case suspended, you pretty much know that when you come back it's your job. It's not like – you know, you have to you have to typically earn it back. Uh, Tom Brady didn't have to earn it back, and I recognize he's got all these Super Bowl wins. Ben Roethlisberger, when he was suspended in 2010, he didn't have to earn it back. You know, it was his job to lose, and when he came back, they plugged him in there. But for the first time, Winston, I think, thought to himself, wow, like, look at the numbers. And then the next week when they did it against Philly, and, of course, you know, Fitzpatrick puts on all the jewelry, Deshaun jewelry, Winston must have thought, oh, boy. Like, this is now a thing. You know, this is a movement. People are going to wear beards to the to the home games. And, uh, you know, we're writing about Fitzmagic every day. Um, so it was all sort of born of that. And I say that I say that, that to mean this. There was a lot of hubris from that game. You know, Jameis created this situation. But the ability for Ryan Fitzpatrick to go out there and look so good also tainted the way I think Dirk Cutter felt about things in that when he did go to Winston and it didn't go well right off the bat, he remembered those two games starting with New Orleans and thought, hmm, maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick, I really like what he did there. Maybe I should go back to him. And I don't think that happens if they have a you know, 28-24 game or you know maybe they win 21-20. I mean – the, the image of Brian Fitzpatrick just absolutely ripping the New Orleans Saints defense, I think, carried had, had a lot of lasting power in the mind of Dirk Cutter. So where are the Saints now? Well, it turned out they were the better football team, to say the least. After losing that first game, they went on to win 10 straight games. And you don't that in this league ever without being not just a good team, but an exceptional team. I mean, it's hard to win a game. As my good friend John Gruden said, it's hard to get a first down, man, you know. And, and for them to win 10 in a row and their defense got better, that's probably the biggest change, I think, in New Orleans uh, year, year to year is that, uh, you know, we talked about this great streak that the Bucks have had over the last seven weeks with 24 sacks and second in the league in pass defense and all this stuff. Well, guess who has more sacks than the Bucks over that same stretch? That's right. It's the Saints. They have 25. 
And so the Saints have been playing tremendous defense. Schematically, they're not that different. They've added another corner in Eli Apple, who isn't really a great player, but what they have done uh, in some situations is take Eli Apple, put him on the other team's best receiver, and then play a, a safety over top of him and sort of essentially double the top receiver and then you know allow Marshawn Lattimore to shut down the number two receiver who normally isn't as good, and it seems to, seems to have worked. Um, but in their game against Dallas, I would have never bet that the, that the Saints would have a game where they only scored 10 points. I mean, that was just so incredibly well executed by Rod Marinelli or, or you know, he's the defensive coordinator there in Dallas. They tackled well. They absolutely shut down the run. Uh, and they got so much pressure on Drew Brees and knocked him down and really beat him up uh, pretty good. And you know what? New Orleans was just never really able to get started, and it was shocking. Uh, but you could also ask, well, is that, you know, is that sort of the template um, to beating the Saints? And in a way, it's always been. But can you do it? You know, can you shut down their running game with Alvin Kamara, with Mark Ingram? And if you're able to do that, the place to get pressure on Breeze is straight up in his face. You know, uh, the Bucks pass rush is led by their defensive ends and Jason Pierre-Paul and Carl Nassib and those guys. Uh, but Breeze is, is, you know, well under six foot tall, really stands on his tippy toes almost to deliver the ball. And if you, you can get pressure right up in the middle so he can't step up, um, that's when he struggles. And there was a point in that Dallas game where he was in the third quarter and he had 67 yards passing, which just was crazy for a guy like Drew Brees. So the Bucs are going to have to absolutely shut down the run. They're going to have to get after people. And uh, the way they're playing right now, um, you know, I was talking to somebody in the organization the other day. He said, look, our defense is, is excited about playing these guys. I mean, if you think about what Carolina did to the Bucks defense and how – and this is with Mark Duffner, how they just embarrassed them. I think they were up 34-7 to at one point um, in that game. They came out with all these spread options and guys were running scot-free and, you know, deep passes. Well, they avenged that. They made the corrections with that. A lot of them were different players, but nonetheless, they made the corrections. And they wound up getting four interceptions of Cam Newton the last time he came here on Sunday. Well, they've got to kind of flip the script that way on New Orleans, too. If the defense can find a way um, to sort of, you know, hold Breeze at bay so that their offense can get a lead, um, that's going to be the key. Because you do not want to play from behind against this Saints defense. And you don't want to be chasing points that Breeze puts up. It's almost like a tennis match, man. you got to hold serve. In fact, the game in New Orleans, if you remember, the Bucks kicked off and Breeze took them right down the field. Mm-hmm. I think Alvin Kamara scored a touchdown, and all of a sudden, you know, that's you're down 7 nothing. You can't have that in this game on Sunday. Well, and the weather could play a part, too, where it's supposed to be, there's, I think, 80, at this point, 80% chance of rain on Sunday. Um, so that may yes. affect, you know, the passing games. It may affect ball security. Uh, and, and, and when there's rain like that, you want to lead. You don't want to have to be forced to chuck do. it around the, 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 the field if, if there is right now. I mean, you know, uh, this is Florida. Well, there, that, could, well, that could change by Sunday, obviously. but It can't. I mean, there's going to be a weather event sometime Sunday. We don't know exactly when. I mean, the forecast is that the later in the day, the, the less chance of rain. Um, but right around that time as we sit here, you know, several days out, this is a major storm that's cutting through the entire country all the way from the Pacific across the Midwest and then into the south. And – there is a possibility. In fact, the New Orleans Saints, Sean Payton said uh, on on Thursday, 
we're going to practice with a wet ball. I mean, they're convinced that the forecast is such that they need to get out there and, and soak soak some footballs and let Breeze throw it around and guys try to catch Well, it. they don't do that that often because obviously their eight home games are indoors. That's right. So, you know, at most they've got, you know, well, let's see, Atlanta's going to be four, a, three Atlanta, or four. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at most you've got seven road games that could be outside because Atlanta's sure. inside, so. Yeah, so you're 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 not going to be necessarily any. Although I think the way the way that the Saints play should travel, it mm-hmm. should travel on Sunday, and it should travel in the postseason because, you know, for all the the credit that uh, you know Sean Payton gets as a, as a play caller, and he's very very good, and they have a great offense. He likes to run the football. I mean, he he will he and and now more than ever. Now look, they got the running backs to do it. At the two guys that can do it, Kamara's an absolute beast, and he can run inside or outside, obviously. Ingram is more of an in-between-the-tackles guy. Here's the dirty little secret that's not a secret anymore, and that is that Drew Brees' yards per attempt is is way down. Okay, He is not, on average, throwing the ball where the ball is actually in in the air very far as he used to. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of speculation and a lot of, 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 of chatter that's getting louder about how many years does Breeze have left? He had that chronic, terrible, awful shoulder reconstruction. Um, what, what's the expiration date on that work? Uh, are we starting to see him start to wear down to where either he's not confident in throwing the ball down the field as much or he's just not good at it? And I, I would not want to test him because I think he's going to kill you. Um, I still think he is very capable but it is it is undeniable that he that the average you know yards uh, per attempt and far as far as how long the ball is in the air and how far it travels has dramatically changed this year. Before we get off the box, and of course you know we'll see what their defense can do if they can maintain what they've done the last seven weeks. It, it all starts up front with Jason Pierre-Paul. We mentioned uh, you know their defensive ends with Carl Nassib and, and Vinnie Curry. And those guys kind of driving it. But the guy that's been the constant. Uh, who's having a really good year, statistically and otherwise. Uh, and I know he missed a couple games uh, there with injuries. And he is beat up, as are, as are most players this time of year, is Gerald McCoy. Uh, only this time we're going to talk about McCoy and something he has uh, achieved off the field. Uh, Gerald was voted uh, by the Bucks uh, their man of the year this year. They do this every season. All 32 teams nominate uh, their man of the year. And it's for uh, sort of their, their charitable endeavors, their community service work, that sort of thing. Uh, I was surprised a little bit, although I knew this, that it was just the first time in his career he has won this award. But if you think back, you know, it was always Clinton McDonald or Vincent Jackson or, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, so this year it goes to uh, McCoy. And I've talked about McCoy a long time and sort of how, for whatever reason, he's very polarizing. There's a lot of haters out there for Gerald McCoy. I think it's just simply because his whole career has been associated with their losing. That, you know, he's only had two seasons that ended with more wins than losses, which is unfair. Um, but he has been their best player on, on the team many, 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 many years. And, you know, this year he's certainly, uh, despite missing a few games, is off to a pretty good season. He's already, I think he's got six sacks, which matches last season. Has a chance to get eight or nine maybe. Uh, maybe even 10, who knows. Um, and, and having Jason Pierre-Paul has certainly helped that defensive line. I think that uh, you know they have to pick their poison a little bit, and that creates some opportunities for Gerald. But you know the bigger thing is who he is. And, and, and I've never – I really, really have tried to understand this, but I, 
I don't. I've never understood what what the bad feelings where they come from about Gerald McCoy, other than he's the face of a losing franchise. That when you're the guy who is drafted three overall from Oklahoma with a lot of fanfare. And- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And you become the highest paid player on the team, and you're taking over for Warren Sapp. I think that's the a, biggest one. That's got to be the biggest You're not one. Warren the, Sapp, who was the greatest. Right. And the funny thing is, Nobody's Warren Sapp. That's you know what I mean. He, He's the goat. I mean, you know, yeah, it's like saying, well, you're not Jerry Rice. You know, okay, Mike Evans, you're not Jerry Rice. If Mike Evans played for San Francisco and everybody was beating him over the head every day that he wasn't Jerry Rice, would he still be a good player? Yeah, he'd be a hell of a good player. And San Francisco would be thrilled to have him, just as he is. And that's how Tampa Bay should feel about McCoy. Um, because, you know, there was, you know there, was, there was only one Warren Sapp. But because he follows – and the funny thing is, I, and I talked we, with our interview with Booger McFarlane we did a few months ago. You know, McFarlane was, was supposed to be Sapp while playing next to Sapp. <laughs> Try that on for size. You know, you're not only compared to him, hell, he's lining up next to you. It wasn't the same position. I mean, and that's, that's sort of what held uh, McFarlane back was he was playing nose tackle. But when Sapp was traded – by the way, he was he was uh, dealt or not traded, but he he became a free agent essentially um, after nine seasons, which is how many Gerald has played. It's hard to fathom that Gerald McCoy has played here in Tampa Bay his whole career, but as many seasons as Warren Sapp played here. The guy the guy has been solid. He has been more than solid, but because he's a nice guy, there are people in this community, some on radio, some other places that are constantly rapping on him. Well, you can't rap on him about this. Because no matter what you want to say about McCoy, the guy has one of the biggest hearts I've ever seen. And for years, he has done stuff without a foundation, dipped into his own family funds, and, and tried to, uh, to, to you know, help the community, particularly around the holidays. I mean, this is an interesting time when they hand this award out because Gerald is, is doing a whole bunch of things with various families about Christmas. And, of course, he has the McCoy family Christmas where he invites, I don't know, some 40 families um, that are selected through one of their, you know, charities or what have you. Uh, and he makes Christmas for them. These are, these are underprivileged families who, whose parents, God bless them. They love to provide, you know, their kids with a, with a Merry Christmas, but don't have the resources. And Gerald buys everything and he, bu- and he personalizes the gifts um, and everybody has a Christmas right there. They did it at one book place in the indoor facility. Uh, about a year ago, and it is so heartwarming to see these kids. And what even is more heartwarming as a father um, is to see the parents, because what parent doesn't want to give their kid a Merry Christmas, right? Maybe a bike, maybe just one thing, just any one thing, and they don't have money for it. Uh, and Christmas can be a very solemn time. You know, we think of it as, um, you know, uh, as Joe McCoy uh, would say, you know, it's the happiest time of the year, except when it's not, except when you don't have anything 
Um, and the story he tells about a family just wanting the Christmas tree that never had a tree uh, to celebrate Christmas. I mean, those kinds of stories really sort of stick with you. So uh, what he does in the community is great. And, you know, for him to have a chance to win this thing, um, now, look, you know, he's one in 32, and there's always, you know, great competition. Uh, but it would, it would be special to him, uh, you know, and that's something Warren Sapp didn't do, <laughs> to say the least. And I'm not saying Warren Sapp didn't do anything in the community because he has, uh, but it was Warwick Dunn and Derek Brooks and those guys. And you would love, if you're a Buccaneer player, uh, and you can just hear how appreciative that Joe McCoy is and, and how, how earnestly devoted he is to helping people. And that's the big thing, is that there's a lot of good guys in the NFL, a lot of deserving guys on Man of the Year awards uh, on teams. For the most part, I find all these guys to be very generous uh, and, and wanting to do stuff to help kids, to help people in the community. Uh, but this is neat. This was a neat thing, and uh, I'm happy he got it. And we'll see. You know, you never know. Maybe he can be the guy standing there on that, uh, on that stage, the Super Bowl Monday night or whenever they do it. Uh, in Atlanta and accepting the uh, the Walter Payton Man of the Year. As it is, he'll wear a Man of the Year uh, sticker, I guess, now on his jersey uh, the rest of the season. But he was touched by the award, and I thought it was worthwhile hearing from Gerald McCoy. We step into this great league we play in. Um, the ultimate goal is to uh, bring a Lombardi trophy back to your facility, you know. But uh, there are some... Uh, personal goals that people set out when they start their career and uh, this is one of mine because uh, you know I always say that you know God's put us in a place uh, where we're at giving us a platform whether it may be finances or just you know people seeing us all the time just being a professional athlete it's not for us it's not to be used selfishly and uh, it's to be used to bless others as much as possible so um, I don't do it for the recognition I mean it's good to be recognized but uh, you know ultimately for me this means that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do you know I'm trying to change the world one person at a time as much as I can you know what I'm saying You've won a lot of awards for playing, but, you know, Derek Brooks, Warwick Dunn, what, what would it be needing you to be in that company? And a guy like Walter Payton, what, what he meant to this league? Yeah, um, it's just more than, uh, I think it's, I think it's the overall, you know, um, aspect of the, not just the player, but the man, you know. I think it goes hand in hand with on and off the field, the type of person that Walter Payton was. And, you know, I'm not fake, man. I'm going to be me, and I'm unapologetic about it. You know, people criticize me all the time for being too nice a guy. You know, I just don't see how this ever been a problem in life, you know. Uh, or football. But, yeah, you know, so I'm going to continue to be me. And uh, to even be mentioned, you know, uh, I seen all those years that VJAC was nominated and seen Clint nominated multiple times and I, you know, I always said to myself, you know, gee, just keep doing what you're doing and maybe one day. And, uh, you know, it's great just to be nominated. It would be an honor to win it, but I'm just going to keep being me. You know, like I said, I don't do it for the recognition. God's given me an opportunity to bless others, so that's what I'm going to keep doing. This time of year, you seem to really enjoy it. Uh, this is when you do a lot of your things. Mm -hmm. Christmas, 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 Absolutely. 
out of your own pocket. How much fun do you have? What does that mean to you to be? Yeah, um, you know, the you know, song goes, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And uh, unless you've really experienced that, you don't understand. And um, a lot of people, you'd be surprised, are adults and have never experienced it. So, you know, I want to give anybody, adults, children, whoever it may be, an opportunity to experience why it's the most wonderful time of the year, man. It's, it's nothing like this time of year. So um, just the overall experience, it's not just about gifts and presents. And, uh, <coughs> it's not just about gifts and presents and things of that sort. It's just the family atmosphere and, you know, everything that goes into this time of the year. So uh, anyway, not just myself, but my entire family can help. I'm going to keep doing it. You must identify with the parents of the families that you mm -hmm. need help because they want to give their kids something. Absolutely. And you put that them in a position. Absolutely, man. Last year at the McCoy family Christmas, you know, a family came up to me and uh, we had given all these gifts, given them dinner, tour the facility, all these different things. And they came up to me and said, Gerald, you think it'd be okay if we took the Christmas tree? Like, that puts things into perspective. All this stuff and all they wanted was a Christmas tree. You know, if I can, <laughs> if I can change a life in that way, that's what I'm gonna keep doing, man. Just a Christmas tree. People don't understand, man. Like they wanted a Christmas tree. They never had a Christmas tree. That just and that hits me in my heart, man. So I'm just gonna keep being myself and my entire family. We're just gonna keep doing it. Okay, Steve. Finally, as we uh, as we do this podcast, the Lightning are playing the Boston Bruins uh, at home at Emily Arena, and I got to be honest, man. I, I, we've talked about this a little bit before, but I didn't know what to expect when Andre Vasilevsky went down and Louis Domingue stepped in, and he's been pretty dang solid for the most part. He played 11 straight games, um, and, and then you know he he took a night off, and it, it was a wild game. They managed up winning the winning the game. Um, once once but, again, the Lightning are down in a game by multiple goals, and you're going, well, they can come back, even with that now that Eddie Pasquale was in goal. And they end up coming yeah. back and score a shorthanded goal late to, to help send that into overtime, and they win in the shootout. It's just it's crazy to think that when I watch this team, the score seems irrelevant unless there's only a couple minutes or seconds to go in the game because they're never out of it. They can fall down two to nothing, then three to one, then four to one, then four to two, then five to two. It, it, it's like whatever it takes. How many are we gonna score tonight? We'll do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the clock is more what you watch than the actual scoreboard. It's true, yeah, because you know they're going to and, – and Pasquale is, is such a great story. Um, he, you know, he was in the minors for a decade, mm -hmm. I think, from age 18. Uh, and this was his first NHL start, which I didn't realize when I watched the game. Would have made me feel I, – I was nervous for him just because, you know, obviously he's a guy that was moving up from the minors, and um, you're always, you know, rooting for the guy to have a good debut or whatnot. Um, but yeah, to spend that many years and then come up here and live your dream, uh, I guess he had some injuries, had hip surgeries and things that kind of, uh, kind of cost him. Um, but what a neat story, you know, for the lightning and what a great start that they're off to, um, you know, especially Braden point. I mean, man, that I'm, Steve, I think he's going to score 60 goals. I think he's going to have a look at it. I really do. Uh, well, yeah, he's definitely definitely has a shot at it. I mean, you know, you're, at some point you're going to hit a swoon in the middle of the season. Almost every sure, player does. Sure, 
You know, you don't keep up these early season paces. Although, you know, as we tape this, this is before the Boston game. So they've played 29 games, which you're more than a third of the way through the season now. That's right. You know, so you've got this is a pretty good sample size at this point. And Lightning are in first place at 43 points, three points ahead of any other team, Toronto, who's right behind them. Um, You know, the Atlantic division looks like the toughest division. Again, Boston, who they're playing tonight with Brad Marchand now. I guess, you know, in the offseason, he switched it from Marchand to Marchand. I don't know if that sounds like a cleaner player than than Marchand. Um, I'm not sure if that's why he switched it, but they're in town. That's, like, that's the first time they're play, playing Boston this year, actually. Yeah. So it, and it's, they've got kind of a good rivalry going. I mean, yeah, well, it's going to be the first time they faced off since the Lightning took them down in, in, in five games last season, winning the last four of that series. You know, it was funny. Like last year, I thought I really did because, you know, the TD Garden is the place that was been their house of horrors, right? They really mm-hmm. would win there. And, and I really believe that as most people probably did or a lot of people did, was when they took down Boston, I was like, ah, that's it. Game over. That that was the demon, right? Mm-hmm. That was the devil. And you thought, you know, Washington has their own demons where they can't get over the hump. And they, they took can't Pittsburgh get down. the Stanley Cup. And they took Pittsburgh down, which was even better for the Lightning. And it just seemed to set up really, really well. Um, because Boston has always seemed to be their nemesis a little bit. Uh, so it's important. Let me ask you this. How important is it? To, to beat teams like that during the regular season, maybe win the series, um, when you then face them in the postseason? Or do you just chuck everything out and say, it doesn't matter, it's a whole new year? I don't know. If you remember last season with Boston, if you, and I believe they played four games, it could have been five. But they played one or two early in the year, and Boston just whipped them. And then they, they played, I think, the third game in early March, maybe in late February. Right. And the Lightning, it was a spirited effort. They came up short, but it was, you know, like a 3-2 game or whatever else. And I believe that one was in Boston. Mm-hmm. And if my memory serves me right, they played late in March here at Amelie Arena. That's and then right. the Lightning finally took it to Boston. And I think it was like 4 nothing, or it was something like that. I mean, it was they, they, they took control of the game, and it was kind of like, all right, now, now they know how to beat Boston. And that was kind of mm-hmm. the prevailing sentiment around it. That like, I don't think necessarily the record in the, re- the regular season matters so much in the postseason, whether you, you know, if you play four or five times, whether you win three or four or only two, one or two. But yeah. I, think, I think there's some things of figuring the other team out. And, I, okay. I, you know, I think it's, you know, whether it's goalies or whether it's, you know, how are we going to face this line or how are we going to stop their pe- power play, or, you know, depending what. You oh, know, I agree. And every team's a little different. But it's kind of getting that, you know, I think they finally figured out how to beat Boston. And it kind of throughout the season, every time they played, the Lightning were figuring it out a little more. Because mm-hmm. Boston's at, you know, and they're, they're changing as a team, but they're still kind of a heavier team, not quite as fast as the Lightning, and play a little different style. So the Lightning were figuring that out. And I, by the end of the season, when they played late in March, they had figured it out. Yeah, And they lost game one think, of the series, but then they took the final four. I don't think you have to win the series in a regular season necessarily to learn stuff. Um, but no. certainly that certainly confidence comes with that. But you're right. Like, the only parallel I know is in football, the Bucks were forever losing to the Philadelphia Eagles. They mm-hmm. just were. You know, and that's why Tony Dungy got fired. They'd go up there to get blasted. They couldn't score any points. And then the Bucks played the Eagles in 2002, uh, and they lost. It was a closer game during the regular season. And But John Gruden, remember this as plain as day, you know, felt like we figured some stuff out. And, and, and the players have talked about it since that. Now, we knew – and, and I guess Derek Brooks even said it to some of the Philly players, like, we'll see you guys again. 
and they would have to meet them in the playoffs, if not the championship game, for that to happen because Philly was really, really good. Um, but they were confident enough that they had learned some stuff. And what they learned was that essentially their linebackers, as it was constructed, could not cover these shallow, these dig routes and crossing routes and all this stuff, whether it was Juravicious or Keenan Cardell, um, they couldn't stay with them. And so they went for these isolated matchups. Philly left their big lumbering linebackers in the game, and we remember Joe Juravicious taking one for 70 yards down the sidelines to set up a touchdown. Um, and But you absolutely do learn stuff, you know, I think by – by playing teams. So from that standpoint, um, it probably, you know, it probably helped the lightning last year, uh, to play Boston and, and they did very, very well. But, um, I guess, uh, tonight Domingue will be, or I'm sorry, as, as we speak, Domingue was back in the pipes. Yes, Boston. he was. Yep. He's going to be at, uh, uh, John Cooper gave an update on Andre Vasilevsky said he's still a couple of weeks away. Uh, he did go with the team on this last road trip. Uh, that's may, may start skating soon. Uh, but they, now, Cooper now said he's still a couple you, weeks away. Strawman was supposed to be reevaluated on Wednesday. No update at this point. They said they're still wait and see. Would you think that? Okay, let's say he's cleared to skate, cleared to play, whatever. Would you? How long do you think they would have him play in the minors to get to get ready? Would it be two games? Would it be? I think uh, assuming well, no setbacks. Look, I think it depends on you know how he goes down and plays. I mean, you yeah. know, what, how he feels is more, you know, not so much did he win or how many goals. Not the results, in, but, but yeah. It's going to be how he feels. And, if, you know, you know, when you've got top-line players like that, you're going to trust them. And when they say they're right. ready, you're going to say, okay, you're in. Uh, but the good thing right. is, is the Lightning don't have to rush him back. Is that, you know, if, if he's not 100% and says, hey, I need another game or two games or a week, okay. I mean, Domingue's doing fine for you. You've got no issues. You're munching points. You're in first place. You know, the, the healthier he is when he comes back, the better off it is. Same with Anton Strawman on the back end is, you know, he's now he, they're still evaluating him and not sure how long he's going to be out. But the way Eric Chernak's playing in his place, you don't have to rush him back. I mean, let's be honest. This Lightning team's going to make the playoffs. This oh, is yeah. all about getting this team ready for the playoffs. And granted, it's way early to, you know, you're not planning that yet. But, you know, Anton Strawman, if you're 85 percent healthy, why don't you wait till you get 100 to come back? Because right. we don't want you to have to re we don't want you to re-injure something because you're not 100. percent Is that they have that flexibility because of how well they're playing, how talented they are, and how deep they are. Well, tomorrow night they got quite an opponent. Colorado comes in the Avalanche, and if you remember, uh, Steve, you brought this up. Uh, just a fantastic game, a one nothing game uh, out in Colorado. Who says you uh, need a lot they... of scoring to have an exciting game? Oh, it was that, and so that'll be a great matchup. Colorado having a, a great season as well. Then we got Buck Saints. Of course, on uh, Sunday before that, as a matter of fact, Saturday, one of the coolest college football events uh, I think there is is the Army-Navy game. It's on my bucket list. I really do want to see that uh, one day, but uh, Army-Navy playing uh, this Saturday. And then you have the Heisman Trophy Award. Some drama about that as well. Is it going to be Ky- Kyler Murray, maybe at Oklahoma, or Tua Tagovailoa um, from Alabama? So uh, maybe some some Dwayne Haskins, changed. Ohio State. He's the other. Dwayne finalist. Haskins, who played great down the stretch. Yeah, so three quarterbacks. Now, Kyler Murray and, and got all. the AP player of the year on Thursday. Well, the way he played in the conference championship and Tua struggling with his ankle and other things and, and, and did not have a good game, I wonder if that might tilt it. Because before before those games, I thought Tua was a shoe, and I'm not so sure that's the case this time. 
so maybe Kyler Murray will wear, will win that, and and he's got a decision to make. He said he's going to play baseball, but no, he's already taking the five million dollars. He's going to baseball. Yeah, so he he has to play. But there's some people that think that despite that, he might even be drafted uh, in the NFL someday. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll see if that happens. But the Heisman Trophy uh, is Saturday night. So. A busy weekend in sports. We'll be ready to talk about all of that uh, on Monday. And, folks, uh, remember now, we're just a little over, what, uh, two weeks or so from Christmas. And you want to go see my friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. It's the easiest thing to do in the world. You're going to save a ton of money. And for our listeners only, you save 20% off right now all jewelry purchases at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great weekend, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 